Exciting. So hopefully you've clocked. That was my voice. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but the reason we played the video and I haven't done it live for you is because obviously I'm a professional musician. Uh, so uh, my, my live rates are, are quite high. So we thought, you know what, we'll play this royalty-free video uh, for you. Um, so at least you got the experience. And uh, if you would like me to do it live, perform uh, at an event, do hit me up afterwards. Uh, but all jokes aside, like Amelia said, uh, my name is Scott and I am on the... Did I say my name's Scott? <laughs> and did I say good morning? No. Okay, good. Because the one thing I was like, it's not morning, it's not morning. I'm not Scott, I'm Tex. <laughs> Great start, isn't it? But well. At least, but I know my content far better than I know my name. Um, but anyway, so we are obviously looking at our series in Daniel about living as exiles. And uh, what does that mean? Uh, one of the things that we've been looking at and a theme that's come through our series over the last uh, four or five weeks is the fact that you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are called to go against culture, where culture would bow down to things. Us as Christians, uh, we're supposed to show a better way to live. Uh, we're supposed to be showing a way uh, of living that brings hope, that brings love, that brings compassion, that brings joy, that brings peace. So for us as followers of Jesus, that, I think that, you know, through the series, that's what it means to live as exiles. But I think the thing for us to, to remember is that for us to be followers of Jesus and to be courageous followers of Jesus, we need to keep our eyes on God. We need to keep looking up at God. We've done a series called Looking Up. Can I encourage you? Go back and listen to it. And I just feel that uh, as we look at Daniel chapter 5 today, that that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep looking up at him. And the reason he wants us to do so is because when we look up at God, he shapes and changes us by the power of his Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, who is a great theologian, he said that the first thing that comes to mind when we think about God is often the first thing we start to think about ourselves. So essentially what is it is our view of God should be shaping who we are, not the other way around. Not who we are shapes our view of God. And I know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we keep looking up at God, he shapes us, he changes us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Our values change. Our, uh, our kind, of, uh, kind of things that we want change. The way we steward our money, the way we steward our resources, they change because Jesus shows us how to live. Okay. And today, this, morning, uh, this afternoon, I just want us to look at three things that I feel God wants to show us. And then at the end, we're going to, we're going to leave some room to encounter God. And I'm confident that we're going to meet with God this afternoon. And if you're not ready, that's okay. You don't have to be ready to meet with God. He wants to meet with you. That's part of the God that we serve, is he loves to reveal himself to people. So let's get ready for that, yeah? Cool. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the Bible passage. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can come and worship you freely today. I thank you that we can come and read the Bible, be with one another freely. Lord God, I do pray right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you come and start working in the room? I pray would we have fresh revelation of who you are. God, for those of us who need just a fresh touch from you, I pray, come, Lord God, touch us again this afternoon. God, I, I pray, would you come now and, and shake us awake for your glory, for your kingdom. 
And I pray, God, would we leave this afternoon, leave this hall on fire for you, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 5. Just to say, it's quite a long passage, so I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read a few sections um, at a time, but I will talk us through the story. So this is what Daniel chapter 5, verse 1 to 6 says, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. The same elements that we see in Daniel chapter 2 or 3, I think. It then says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw that the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. So what do we have here? We've got King Belshazzar, who is a few generations after King Nebuchadnezzar. So here it talks about his father, uh, but some translations might say his predecessor or someone who is after him. And already as we uh, read the story, we kind of get the sense that Belshazzar is an arrogant man, a man who's a bit full of himself. And uh, we know this because he's drawing a feast, and uh, when we look at historical accounts, we can see that actually just outside the city of Babylon is that uh, Belshazzar's army has just lost a battle to the Persians and the Medes, and they are right on his doorstep right now. Um, And as we get later in the story, we see that. But the Persians and me, they're right outside. And what is Belshazzar doing? You know, most, I imagine most great kings or generals would be reinforcing their walls, reinforcing their troops, making sure the resources are in the right place. But Belshazzar's here having a feast, getting drunk with his mates. And, and in ancient culture, what they were showing is that he's trying to show, like, this is my military might, that I can put on a feast. So, so we see, oh, he's, he's quite arrogant, quite full of himself. But then what makes it worse is that he goes and gets these vessels from the temple of God in Jerusalem. These, these vessels that were in the temple where God's people met with God. These vessels that are not necessarily holy in and of themselves, but what they do is they point to a holy God who, uh, who was with his people in Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar, he seemed to never have touched them. He seemed to have at least had uh, the boldness or at least the wisdom to think, no, I'm not going to touch those vessels. But we were confirmed, we see confirmation that Belshazzar is arrogant and thinks there's no one by himself. And he just takes the vessels out with regardless, uh, you know, with no regard for the God of Israel. And what's quite different to our culture and that culture is that, you know, we might say now that people either believe in God or they don't. It's kind of one or the other. But here, what, what makes it worse is that as a Babylonian, he would have recognized the God of Israel, but as just one God of many. So we recognize, no, there is God in existence, but it doesn't give him the respect that he deserves. And he just drinks from them. And then God sees it. God sees what Belshazzar does. And he confronts it. 
You know, in one way, what Belshazzar is doing now, he is he's committing sin, but what, what is he doing? Well, when we talk about sin, what does that mean? I think one of the most helpful uh, frameworks for sin that, I, uh, that I've found is that it is essentially us being the God of our own lives. It is us making God in our image, not recognizing for who he is and not recognizing him for who he is. And that's what Belshazzar does. You know, when it talks about the, uh, that they drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Those are all idols made of the things that, they, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about. It's almost this image of themselves. Again, they, they worship themselves. But why does God confront it? And this is the first thing that we learn about God, is that God is holy. God is holy. And maybe holy is quite a Christian word that we use uh, quite frequently. But what does that mean, that God is holy? It means that God is perfect. Absolutely perfect. There is nothing wrong with him. He can do no wrong. He is absolutely perfect. And at the same time, he is completely separate from sin. And that's why God confronts this issue. Because you see, for God, sin is a big deal. It's not just a, oh, he's just uh, worshipped idols. But no, sin is a big deal. Because sin, what it does is if we keep letting it be in our lives, it corrupts who we are. And not just, not just on an individual, personal level, but it shapes the way that we view people. It shapes the way that we see the world. You know, it's almost as if we have glasses on that are tinted, and it's almost like when, when we allow sin to be in our lives, it's like there's a crack in them and everything's warped. That's why God is holy. We need to remember that he's holy, and he's against sin. And I know that, that maybe for, for us, that the idea of God being holy and him confronting sin is uncomfortable. I know, uh, I know for me, it does make me feel uncomfortable. We, we quite like meek and humble Jesus, don't we? We really like him. We like to talk about him. But we, we, like, we sometimes can steer away from the God who is holy, who is just, and who will punish sin. And that is the reality here, is why we need to kind of just look at this God showing us that he's holy. Is that, that's what Belshazzar does. He's unrepentant. And God confronts it. And essentially what we see, a uh, little spoiler alert, is that Belshazzar dies at the end. But we see that the, the punishment for, for sin is death. That is it. Whether we like it or not, whether this makes us feel uncomfortable, this is part of the God that we follow. And why we need to take heed to this is there is a Belshazzar lurking in each and every one of us. We all have the tendency to want to make God in our image and be the God of our own lives. There's a Belshazzar lurking in each and every one of us. Now, uh, maybe you're feeling a bit uncomfortable. Where do I go with this? The beauty of the Christian faith is that our story doesn't stop there. Is that we know that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we were once separated from a holy God. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection on a cross, we are now united to him. We are now no longer separated from a holy God, but we are in relationship with a holy God who loves us and loves to be in relationship with us. And that is the hope that you and I have. This is good news. 
That, you know, we, even though there's a Belshazzar lurking in each and every one of us, there is hope. A hope that we all have access to. And what I want us to do quickly is, I want us to take communion together to remember this right now. So you should have a pot um, with you. But just while we're getting our pots, just to say, um, if you're here and you're not following Jesus, uh, we just want to say that this is the only part of the meeting that we say, please don't take part in this. And the reason we do that is not because we want to be exclusive or uh, you know, not have you be a part of anything, but we just feel that it wouldn't be best for you, it wouldn't make sense for you to participate in something that you don't believe in. But uh, the beauty of Jesus is that this is not a closed table. Jesus is not here thinking, nope, you can never take part in this. Jesus' arms are open wide to you, that if you want to put your trust in him, you can do so, and he is here to be in relationship with you. He wants to be in your life. Um, but if you are here, uh, and that is you, can I encourage you to come and talk to me or someone who's been up at the front, or even better, talk to the person who you've come with, um, and just to know that Jesus, his arms are open, his invite is open to you, but just for now, uh, you, uh, don't take it, and we can talk at the end. But let's take communion together, and what I want us to do is to remember that Jesus' body, broken for us, is the reason that you and I are no longer separated from a holy God. That we once were separated, but we're now we were joined back to him, reconciled to him, and we can now live as, ch- as children who are living holy. That his holiness is now given to us to now show the world. His blood shed for us. Oh, I've dropped Jesus' body. <laughs> his blood that has been shed for us has washed us clean. If you're sitting here today and you feel like you cannot come to Jesus because of the things that you've done, no matter how you're wasted, maybe you've not read your Bible enough, please, for Jesus, you don't have to come into him with your suit and tie ready, perfect. You come as you are, and his blood has washed you clean. So let's take the bread, uh, his body broken for us, and his blood that has washed us so that we can be in a relationship with him. I just feel we should pause there, just for 30 seconds. Let's just remember the elements we've taken. Let God start to work by his Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to rely on our own goodness. But we can come to you and we can boldly approach the Father because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. So I'm going to speed up just because of time. I definitely want to have time for us to encounter God, uh, kind of just waiting on him by his Holy Spirit later. So Daniel 5, uh, chapter, no, chapter 5, verse 13. So it says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you that, you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. So we've had a bit of a jump in the story. Uh, so after King Belshazzar sees the handwriting on the wall, he's left trembling, the color fading out of him. He then tries to get his astrologers, his wise men, people to come and interpret what has happened. And these men fail yet again. So this is another echoing of Daniel chapter 2, where uh, Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, no one could figure out what God was saying, but God's man could. 
So uh, Daniel comes in, and he is ready to interpret the message for, uh, for the king. And what we see that is shown here is that Daniel is described as having excellent wisdom, uh, understanding, and that light is in him. And we see that the second thing God teaches us is that God is equipping us. Okay? Is that we see that Daniel being brought into the palace, these gifts of wisdom, this gift of intelligence, this gift of the Holy Spirit, they are directly linked to his sphere of influence. That in the palace, those are the things that, need it, that are needed, and God equips him with the right gifts to be in the right place. And for us to be courageous followers of Jesus, we need to remember that it's God who is equipping, equipping you and I wherever we go and through all that we do. Um, I've just got the scene from the uh, Narnia film uh, behind me. Um, hopefully you can see that. But I don't know if you remember the Narnia film. So this is uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So Father Christmas, he comes to the three children and he gives them these gifts. And um, all the kids have different... Uh, uh, different reactions to the gifts. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it's Lucy, who when she gets a little bottle of uh, like juice or whatever, she's a bit like, what is this for? Um, and uh, just a little bit about me is that that basically used to be me. Um, my mum used to tell me that when I was a child on my birthday, um, I'd be getting gifts, and there was always uh, my one mum's friend who was a phenomenal lady. Um, she'd always buy me clothes, um, and I was about five, six, I'm going to say up to seven, I would basically look at their clothes and be like, yeah, thanks, where are the toys? Because I was like, I don't really need that, I'm a child. Um, like, I want something fun, something cool. Um, so I'm a little bit like Lucy, but, you know, little did I know that, um, you know, I, I use clothes far more than I use toys. Um, even though, uh, but it still kind of shapes the way Emma and I spoil our niece and nephew. And was like, oh, let's buy them a dinosaur T-shirt. And I'm like, no, buy them toys. My three-year-old nephew doesn't want a dinosaur T-shirt. But anyway, but, uh, the same kind of in this story is that the kids get different gifts, things that they don't know what they're using. But little, uh, but little do they know that at the end of uh, Narnia, the final battle, is that all of the gifts that they're given are exactly what they need in order to defeat the evil queen. And that is what God is doing in us is that he has given us uh, the gifts that we need in order to be courageous followers of Jesus, wherever we are. We all don't have to be the same. We, can all, we don't have to have someone else's gifts. God has given us all that we need, wherever we are. And what I want us to do now is just for two minutes, is that I just want us to pray and ask God and to bring to mind how has God prepared you and given you all that you need in your area. So let's just reflect on that now. Brilliant. You know, this idea of being reminded that God equips us is something that's extremely freeing because we, we know that we can trust God that wherever we are, wherever we go, 
he has gone before us and he has given us all that we need. We don't have to rely on our own strengths, don't have to rely on our own abilities, but we can know, saying, God, uh, in this sphere, please, would you help me? Would you give me all that I need? And he will give you all that you need. So let's jump to the next bit of the passage. So Daniel chapter 5, verse 26 and verses 30 to 31. So it says, this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So just before this, we see that Daniel, he, he gives us a long speech about Nebuchadnezzar, who is in Daniel chapter 4. So, Daniel, uh, so Andy's preach last week looked at Daniel chapter 4 about how Nebuchadnezzar was a very arrogant man. God humbled him, and he rightly saw God as who God was. And then he says, no, God, you are holy. You are the Lord of all the earth. And God brings him back to his sanity. And Daniel draws a parallel saying, this was your predecessor, this is you, you're not like your predecessor, you still think much of yourself, you seem to be unrepentant, and this is what happens to you, that God will say to you that his kingdom is, uh, his days are numbered, he's been, he's been weighed and been found wanting, and he's then killed. For the Israelites at the time, this is a fundamental moment in their history. Because for years they've been in exile thinking, God, when are we going back to Jerusalem? But this, what this does is the fact that Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, is killed, it kind of kick-starts the start of the, the Israelites going back out of Israel. Is because I think it's Cyrus, the next king, who allows some of them to go back. And what is the third thing that we see God teaches us about himself? We see that God is always in control. You know, it's showing us that no matter how things look, how things are going, or, you know, what's going on, that God is always in control. The Israelites would have been sitting there thinking year after year, God, what is going on? Where are you? What is happening? But God was always with them, and he was always in control. And for us who live in lives that are definitely not linear, are they? Life is full of ups and downs. We need to be reassured and comforted that God is always in control. As I was uh, praying, I feel uh, that God would want to speak to a family that's here today. Um, and if, if you're new to church, and uh, what this is, is that we believe that our relationship with God is two ways. It's not only us speaking to him, but he speaks to us. And often that comes through a thought that we might have and this is, I feel good would want to say to a family in our church that uh, you have a situation with one of your children um, and uh, your school's, their school situation feels really tricky, that there's a decision that feels like it's out of your hands, it's actually in the school's hands. What I feel good would want to do is bring you comfort uh, and he wants to say to you, he is always in control, that even though you might not get the school situation that you want, he is always in control God works all things for good 
but God just wants to comfort you. Um, so if that is you, um, if that is uh, your family, I'd love to pray for you um, at the end. But yeah, just feel that God would want to speak to you. So just to remind us that God is always in control. And we've seen that throughout the Bible. That is the story of God throughout the Bible. You can trace it, is that no matter what happens, he is always in control. And the book of Revelation shows us that the day Jesus comes back, God is, that was God's plan the whole way. There isn't, a, there isn't an if, but, or maybe when Jesus comes back. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, what, will God get what he needs? No, the, the day that Jesus comes back is going to be the perfect time for him to come back and to show his glory and wonder to all of the world because he is always in control. You know, even like that song we sang uh, Waymaker earlier, even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't know it, he's working. God is in control. So to sum up, in order for us to live courageously for Jesus, we need to be reminded that God is holy, he is equipping us, and he is always in control. I just now want to start to leave room for God to work. So if the band could come up, but don't start playing yet. I want us to get into a posture to ready to encounter God because he wants to meet with his people. You know, all of these things that I've said are, are good things to know in your heads, but until God comes and touches you by his Holy Spirit, they mean nothing. So we're just going to stay silent now. Uh, but let's focus on God. If you want to lean forward, if you want to stand, it's up to you. But we're going to wait on God. And I know that as we wait, God is going to meet with us powerfully. Some of us might start laughing. Some of us might start crying. Some of us, our bodies might start to shake, but that's normal. It's just when God touches us, sometimes these things are displayed. I want to be quiet and we're going to wait for God.